podcast is brought to you by Ancestors. Ancestors is the UK's largest bleach-free, plastic-free and gynaecology-approved period care brand. From 100% organic cotton tampons, pads and liners to reusable period pants and period cups, Ancestors has got you covered. There's no nasties here. Period. Check out our range at Ancestors.com. Welcome to Sisterhood, the podcast with me, Lucy Lettuce, co-founder of eco-period care brand Ancestors. Firstly, I'd like to caveat that when I refer to the word woman in these podcasts, this is referring to anyone assigned female at birth. I want the trans and non-cis community to be included and represented in all conversations discussed in this podcast. So each week here on Sisterhood, the podcast, I have a new guest discussing everything you may need or want to know from fertility, pregnancy, childbirth and postpartum life to parenting in general. My guest this week is founder of BirthEd, Megan Roster. Megan has created award-winning hypnobirthing and antenatal courses, as well as supporting women through her own podcast named BirthEd, in addition to creating hugely informative posts and videos on her Instagram page too. So welcome, Megan. I'd love for you to give a little bit of an intro to yourself, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, that, I mean, that was a very accurate uh, introduction, <laughs> I would say. But yeah, it's from a kind of personal perspective. I'm also a mum of two. I've got a six-year-old and a two-year-old. I founded BirthEd six years ago now, after the birth of my first child, having been midway through my completing my midwifery training at the time. And I wanted to create something that sort of bridged the gap between traditional kind of antenatal education that was often just a kind of list of pain relief that somebody might like to use in labour and a hypnobirthing approach which sometimes felt like it was a little bit kind of idealistic one-sided and didn't feel hugely relevant for anybody that was having a birth either for kind of clinical reasons or for personal reasons that maybe sat in the kind of realms of birth with intervention. So created BirthEd that I hope bridges the gap and hopefully is a really inclusive space for anybody having a baby, starting a family to access evidence-based information and pass down wisdom from family to family to give them tools and techniques to kind of help them navigate the maternity system, understand how birth works and really, really get to grips with what their choices are and start to kind of trust themselves and build their confidence as they kind of enter parenthood for the first or subsequent (laughs) time. Amazing. And and so pre-birth ed, pre-having children yourself, what what was your upbringing? What was your kind of background? Kind of how do you think sort of those things played a role in how you ended up where you are? So quite interestingly, before I mm-hmm. do what I do now, I did something that was very, very different. So when I grew up, I the only thing I ever wanted to do was to be an actress, which I did reasonably successfully for six years. Okay. So after I left school, I went into the world of theatre and worked primarily in kind of musical theatre and reached a point where it it just wasn't fulfilling me in the way that I had hoped it would. It wasn't the life that I wanted to lead. I really loved the actual job of it, but kind of all of the in-betweeny bits didn't really light my fire anymore, so to speak. <laughs> um, so I was sort of thinking, well, what else could what else could I do? How else could I use my skills? And I'd always been really interested in 
birth and families and womanhood and females and I really was kind of drawn to train in midwifery so this is like long before we'd kind of considered having children of our own and I knew that one of the skills that I had was that I was a a caring person I think I can make people feel quite at ease I am quite good at communicating information and so it sort of lent I felt like those skills lent themselves nicely to training as a midwife so I started that in 2014 and then my eldest son was born in 2016 as I was going into my third year and unfortunately after I went back after maternity leave we thought that we would get some childcare funding which we didn't get and childcare where we live in kind of London Surrey borders yeah full-time childcare is the best part of 20 grand a year and I was receiving a bursary of eight thousand pounds a year and we didn't just have twelve thousand pounds sitting around in a bank account unfortunately so it sort of put me in a situation where we had to make some difficult decisions but I'd used hypnobirthing with his birth and had found the tools and techniques really effective and decided that I would train to teach that which is what I did and then was able to bring that kind of experience of actually working within the NHS inside a hospital actually seeing and supporting people giving birth that hopefully put me in quite a unique position that I wasn't working within the NHS anymore and I had the school, the skills and understanding of kind of how hypnobirthing works to create what is now birth ed. And at the time, it was a really, really difficult decision to make. But, you know, when you look back in hindsight, I, I feel like I've carved out a space for myself in the world of maternity and a space that I absolutely love being in. So I'd love to go back to your training to be a midwife. Did you train locally did you train you mentioned you kind of live southwest london how did your training work so i was at kingston st george's university which is mainly out of uh, st george's up in london and it was a full-time degree course so that was split between kind of uh, lectures in university and training actually supporting women in the community families yeah. in the community and and labor ward birth center um so actually supporting people kind of in labor and birth yeah. and postnatally yeah and yeah it was a really really fascinating insight into how birth works the world of maternity how the nhs runs and the yeah. system of the nhs runs and quite interestingly which i think probably will quite a lot of students find when they go into midwifery is that you can have lots of wonderful intentions and lots of understanding of how things are supposed to work and actually sometimes this maternity system doesn't actually match up to those expectations or even that kind of basic understanding of how physiology works you look at it from the kind of outside and you're like I don't really understand how the NHS runs like this but it does so that isn't the first time I've heard that yeah (laughs) I'm I'm very grateful for that kind of start that introduction to the maternity world and the maternity system but I'm definitely grateful that I I'm able to work in a way that kind of supports families to access it 
whilst I don't actually have to work in it. <laughs> yeah, totally fair enough. Totally fair enough. And so, so you mentioned hypnobirthing and that you went down went down that path. I'd love for you to to explain to our listeners what hypnobirthing is and the benefits of it and why it's something that you're so passionate about and can help so many women. So I always think the the first thing to point out about mm-hmm. hypnobirthing is that it just has a really stupid name. So if you've heard me <laughs> say hypnobirthing so far in this podcast, you're like, oh, well, she sounds insane. It, I promise you it just has a really stupid name. The easiest way to break it down, I always think, is to split it into two parts. So you've got the hypno side of things and the birthing side of things. So the birthing side of things is simply an approach to antenatal education. So giving families an understanding of how birth works, what is actually going on inside your body, what other choices that you have got in terms of how you give birth to your baby. That's everything from the method of birth to where you give birth to your pain relief, comfort measure options. And a really, really thorough understanding of how to make decisions and how to navigate the maternity system. And that's actually a really huge part of it. You sort of, I think sometimes there can be an assumption, particularly with your first baby, that you just turn up and do as you're told and everybody's going to have your best interests at heart. But actually, when you kind of get into the nitty gritty of it, the research that has been done is sometimes not great um sometimes oftentimes it's non-existent and so things that you might be recommended might not be personalized to you there might not be nuance in those conversations we are giving birth in a system that is actually quite understaffed quite underfunded and really stretched so if you understand what your choices are you understand how to make decisions how to where to gain information from then it puts you in a position where you can start having those nuanced, personalized conversations and hopefully then having a birth that feels like the right way for you to give birth to your baby rather than because you've ticked four boxes on a bit of paper and that is the, you step on the conveyor belt and you end up with what you end up with. Yeah. Um, and that's, so that's the kind of the birthing side of it. The hypno side of it, the word hypno comes from the word hypnotherapy, which is practiced effectively for things like quitting smoking, losing weight, managing fears, phobias, anxieties. And the the, the tool of it is basically the use of language. And within hypnobirthing, it is basically setting people up with a set of tools and techniques that they can first of all use during pregnancy to help build trust in themselves, to help build their confidence, to help manage any fears or anxieties that they might be feeling about giving birth, and to challenge any assumptions that might be sitting in the subconscious part of our mind. So all of our lives, we will have taken on board information around what birth involves, what birth is, what birth feels like. And a lot of the time that will be coming from like inaccurate or fearful sources. So it might come from TV shows that are put on TV to be dramatic and entertaining. It might come from sitcoms that are put on TV to be funny and entertaining. It might come from news reports that are written by people that maybe actually don't understand how to interpret maternity research. So there's so much that is missing from what tends to sit in our subconscious mind. And the idea is that during pregnancy, we can start to unpick that so that what then remains there is hopefully realistic, positive information about birth. Um, 
that we can then draw from that when we're in labor, the tools and techniques are there to support the normal physiological processes of birth, however we give birth, whether that's at home, in water, having a cesarean, having an induction, those physiological processes are still going to take place. So it's tools and techniques to help that happen and tools and techniques to actually help us maintain a sense of calm, a sense of confidence, um, however we're giving birth to our babies. I'd love for you to explain maybe a little bit about birth ed and the classes that, that women could could do with you, could sign up for, just so that yeah, any listeners can understand potentially you know how you might be able to support them in this journey during this period yeah so everything that I've just talked about sort of forms the key focus of the work that we do at birth ed I offer classes in a number of ways so if you happen to be local to southwest London or Surrey we have group in-person or one-to-one courses available but we also have an online course which is 40 pounds or 49 dollars depending on which currency you want to purchase it in and it's available worldwide it's been used by thousands of families all over the world again giving them tools and techniques to help them manage labor to give them a real understanding of what is going on for them in labor what might it feel like how do they manage that what are their choices you know, everything that you might, a kind of complete antenatal education with all of those hypnobirthing tools and techniques included as well. Yeah, amazing. And, you know, you mentioned a little earlier about birthing being kind of how you navigate NHS or whichever kind of path you take. One thing that I learned nine months ago, I had a baby boy, but the thing that I learned throughout the whole process was you are sort of seeking out a lot of the information yourself. You do have to advocate for yourself. I don't I don't think within the NHS there's a lot of flexibility with that. I think it is very much sort of black and white and this is how things are run. I don't know if you have any advice for, for listeners on sort of, you know, how you advocate for yourself even whilst going through the, the NHS and how to, as my uh, husband so eloquently put it, you know, how do you sort of find it within yourself to potentially disagree with a health professional who clearly has medical training and years of experience as opposed to you who are just an individual going through it for the first time? Yeah, and it's, it is a really difficult thing to do but it is a really valuable and important thing to do. And I think it is important to point out that there are like absolute gems working in the NHS who really, really, if you you can land (laughs) with the right midwife or the right obstetrician that will really, really advocate for you and will really present your options in a way that you feel able to make the choices for yourself. However, if you don't know who those people are, it can be hit and miss whether you happen to land in the hands of one of those people or whether you happen to land with somebody else. So number one would be getting yourself educated as much as you possibly can and being quite wary of where you're getting that information and what the background of the person sharing the information or what the almost agenda is of where that information is coming from so for example don't go and get your breastfeeding information from a formula company 
Um, don't go and get information on home birth from an obstetrician. So you want to be getting the information from people that specialize in whatever it is you're yeah. wanting to gain information on. Yeah. Um, there are some really helpful resources in addition to uh, the Birth Ed podcast and the, offers, the things that we offer. Um, there's an amazing organization called AIMS who provide, again, evidence-based information about all sorts of aspects of birth and also support people to make choices that maybe aren't necessarily the kind of recommendations. There's another organization called Birth Rights who, uh, again, if you want support in kind of accessing care that isn't necessarily the kind of standard thing you're offered, um, they can be a helpful resource. There's another podcast called The Midwife's Cauldron, which is a brilliant way of getting information. There's an incredible midwife called Dr. Sarah Wickham, who has a website that kind of disseminates research in a really, really easy to understand way. Um, she's written books so there there is lots of information out there um it's just a case of kind of slightly being wary of where that information is coming from as to how it might be presented so that would be kind of number one would be getting really kind of decent antenatal education um number two would be just understanding what your kind of rights are so pretty much everything in maternity care is optional and if anybody says to you, you need to do something, you have to do something, you're not allowed to do something, then there's something wrong with the way that that information is being presented to you, because literally everything is an option. So if you're listening and you've been for a 12 week scan, you probably didn't realize, but that's an optional scan. You didn't have to go to it. Um, you were probably just sent uh, a date in the in the post and you probably just turned up for it with the expectation that's when we're going back to what's in that subconscious part of our mind we go yeah everyone has a 12-week scan mm -hmm. when we start to think of everything as a choice and what a really really good way of getting building that confidence to as you mentioned question things is to start approaching everything from the beginning of pregnancy as a choice i'm not saying don't go to a 12-week scan but if you can say to yourself do i want to go to this 12-week scan what will the benefits of that be what will the potential risks of that be does it feel like something that i want to do I would say probably the vast majority of people will still want to go for it, but going to it because you've decided you want to go to it is different to going to it because you were given a date and you just showed up for it. So if you can start questioning things with the really what feel like quite low level questions, do I want my blood pressure taken today? Do I want this blood test? Do I want this scan? Do I want to go to this midwife appointment? All of those things are optional things and every time you do them you have decided whether you realized it or not you have decided to accept them um and so by questioning those then you will start to feel more comfortable questioning the things that are, feel potentially a little bit bigger we think you should have an induction of labor we think you should give birth on a labor ward we think you should have continuous monitoring again sometimes that's not presented as we think it is well you need to give birth on a labor ward or you need to have continuous monitoring or you'll need to have an induction now that's that's when we've got that's a red flag the need to language is a red flag um and so when it comes to making decisions if they're decisions that you're making during pregnancy my number one tip is to never and actually it goes for labor as well never make a decision in front of the person that is asking you 
the question. So saying, okay, thank you for that information. Um, we'll go away and we'll think about it. I'll see if there's any other questions that I've got um, and then we'll come back and let you know our answer. Even if going away is I'm going to go to the car park for two minutes, walk around and then come back. Even if you're in labour and it's actually, would you mind just stepping out? So there's very rarely, very rarely not two minutes in labour that you can just say, would you mind stepping outside the room so that we can make this decision in private that would be kind of number one tip because what that does is it removes the hierarchy of the situation making a decision when there's somebody that you feel is important in front of you particularly if you're on their turf in inverted commas if you can go to somewhere where you feel confident probably your your home ideally um but certainly surrounded by people that you feel confident around maybe if you've got a partner or a doula or whoever's with you in labor or just yourself um and making that decision there can be a really valuable thing to do secondly if you are particularly if you're in if you're in pregnancy making a decision make sure you write down ahead of any appointments any questions that you want the answers to and anything that you feel is important to communicate with the person that you're speaking to like even i do it you walk into a room if i go like i don't know for a gp appointment and i go i've got this issue and then they start talking to me I just go, yeah, 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 nod, nod, nod. Okay, that's fine, bye, and then leave. Whereas actually, if you have gone, oh, hang on, I've just got three questions written down that I'm just going to read out, that takes far less confidence than trying to remember what those things were and then building up the confidence to say them. Or if you want to point out, I don't know, it's your second baby, you went into labor at 42 weeks with your first baby and they were eight pounds and they're telling you oh this baby's really big you need to have an induction if you if you are able to say oh hang on these are the things that I want to communicate that will make this conversation more personalized if you've got that written down again you're more likely to remember to actually say it um Mm. and then the final tip would be there's a really really useful decision making tool that you can use which is called using your brain um and it's a useful way of just making sure you've got all of the information that you need so the b stands for benefits what are the benefits of doing whatever it is you're being offered what are the benefits of not doing it the r stands for risks so again what are the risks of doing it what are the risks of not doing it All too frequently, you're presented with the benefits of doing it and the risks of not doing it. And there's like two important corners of that square missing. What are the risks attached to doing it? And what are the benefits of not doing it? Um, So make sure that's all filled. A stands for alternatives. So what else could you do? And the question to say there is, if we didn't do this, what else could we do? So that might be transferring from a birth center to a labor ward it might be having an induction at 40 weeks it might be planning a cesarean birth if we didn't do this what else could you suggest and there's almost always at least one other option in there but it may not have been readily presented the i stands for instinct what does it feel like you should do does it feel like you feel happy and healthy and you're being pushed into things and you don't really know why Or that can lead you the other way. Sometimes it just feels like something's not quite right. You don't necessarily, can't necessarily put your finger on what that is, but sometimes it just feels like you want to do something. And that is also worth tuning into. Sometimes you're 
baby and your body are often very good at communicating with us in through our instinct and actually the reasoning for it isn't necessarily something that we can kind of pinpoint until after they're born and then often you go oh that's why you were doing this or that's why you were behaving like that um and the n stands for nothing what if we did nothing and how long nothing is will obviously depend on the situation you're in but that might be what if we do nothing for half an hour what if we do nothing for a day what if we do nothing for a week um and that yeah that will totally depend on what the decision is that you're making um but by asking those questions they shouldn't feel like con confrontational questions they should feel like they're opening up a a conversation that is helping you gain information and when you have got that information you will feel much more confident to communicate whatever it is you want to do and the reason why it is so 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 important to feel centered in any decision making and this goes for birth but also all healthcare life decisions is that there is a really really big difference between doing something because somebody told you to do it and doing something because you felt like you decided to do it so for example going in for an induction of labor it's very very different to go in for an induction of labor because you felt like somebody made you to going into an induction of labor because you felt like you had all of the information that you needed and you decided that that was the right way to give birth to your baby even if ultimately the outcomes of how those births unfolded end up being the same the way that you feel about those births is very very different and that's why I always put so much focus on decision making and navigating the system and particularly with your first baby this is the first step into advocating for your children basically yeah. um, and this is what will then become basically a lifetime of you as a parent thinking about their needs and potentially having uncomfortable conversations with somebody about what it is you want for them and I think sometimes with second third babies it's easier because you've potentially had a little bit of now practice and experience going oh actually I need to communicate with my mother-in-law about how we've decided to discipline our child i need to communicate with our nursery about how we've decided to potty train them i've needed to communicate with school about what we think about homework mm -hmm. and you've had those that practice yeah and so thinking of those choices that you're making in pregnancy not as choices for yourself but as choices for your baby starts to separate that Oh, I'm just being selfish. I'm putting myself first. It's you're never making decisions for yourself. You're making decisions that feel right for you as a family and for your unborn child. And I think sometimes that there's something about having like a little baby with you 24/7 that can just give you a little bit of confidence. If you ever feel like you don't have confidence in yourself, just put your hand on your bump and be like, oh yeah, hang on. I'm not going in here on my own. I'm not having this conversation on my own. This decision isn't about me. It is about like this baby who I completely adore already. And it can give you a little bit of perspective, I think.
Yeah, totally. I mean, the comment on having a baby inside you, and even to be honest, when baby arrives, touch a tiny bit about it in this podcast and in terms of how you feel about yourself. And if you're sort of like a shy person, they're almost a sort of an added part of you, but you almost feel more confident because of them. That's another story. That's such fantastic advice. And I can't agree more. I did. I definitely didn't have that mindset at the beginning of my pregnancy. And I was in that very similar position, which, you know, you mentioned it, and I'm sure there are, there are many other women in that position who uh, have to decide if they would they they're going to have an induction that was that was me and definitely in the moment i i i felt that i it, i wasn't making a choice i didn't have enough time to think about it in the end i i did i did decide what i wanted to do but it was really quick like how I felt in that moment of not feeling like I was advocating for myself was a, a super steep learning curve because when I had agreed to have an induction, first step was a, a balloon catheter. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, and the sort of the general conversation was around having it and then staying in the labor ward. And in my head, I decided I absolutely just wasn't staying in hospital. I was going home. So I really, I worked myself up to tell the midwife that after it had been inserted, I was going home and I sort of blurted it out. And at the end, she said, it's absolutely fine. She said, how long have you been practicing that in your head? It was a steep learning curve for me to decide in that moment that I, I, I needed to be at home if I was going to have it. And yeah. that was the choice I had to make. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's fantastic advice. I think if I'd done it from the beginning, then maybe the, when the initial conversation came around induction, I might have been slightly better prepared. Fantastic advice. So thank you very much for that. So moving on, I'd love to discuss kind of misconceptions around pain and giving birth because before I had... Ruben, I definitely think in kind of the media and as you say, kind of through television or even, yeah, kind of social media and even to be honest, maybe from, you know, parents and just, I guess, with Chinese whispers that, you know, you forget how bad the pain is and, you know, the most terrible pain you'll have in your life. But in my experience, I found birth to be amazing I, I was very lucky that I had a amazing kind of birth experience but I think for a lot of women there is this kind of fear of intense pain kind of undescribable pain I don't know if you are able to share some insights or advice for, for women who may feel concerned about childbirth being painful and what we're sort of taught and might hear in in the media and and actually what's reality yeah so I think particularly in relation to hypnobirthing, pain is quite an interesting conversation. So something to know about hypnobirthing specifically is that hypnobirthing is unregulated. So there isn't like a specific um, correct way of teaching it. Um, and people have very different interpretations of how they present it. So some hypnobirthing courses um, will sort of ban the use of the word pain and a big mm. focus of the tools and techniques will be to do with eliminating pain in labor and birth from my perspective I don't personally find that to be a kind of a helpful thing because I think for the vast vast majority of people whether they're hypnobirthing or not birth is likely to be painful it's probably going to be the most powerful and intense feeling that you have ever felt in your body mm -hmm. in your entire life however the sensations of labor and birth particularly physiological sensations so a labor that has started spontaneously on its own it hasn't been brought on artificially and particularly a labor that is then allowed to unfold in an environment where somebody feels 
safe and relaxed and unobserved and undisturbed, which is what we basically need for birth to unfold in the way that we expect. In particularly in those circumstances, the sensation of pain is very different to any understanding that we have of pain already. Most pain that we have in our body is what we call pathological. It is your body communicating with you that you are hurt or that something is wrong with you. If you have appendicitis, you get searing pain in your abdomen that you makes you go to the hospital. If you have toothache that is so painful, you it's because you've got a hole in your tooth and your appendix is not supposed to rupture. Your tooth is not supposed to have a hole in it. It is your body telling you that there is something not right. And we're lucky to live in the 21st century when those Mm. things can be fixed with operations and fillings. However, when we are in labor, for the most part, the sensations that we're feeling feel powerful and intense and probably painful because our body is working incredibly hard. So closer to pain that you might feel if you were running a marathon or lifting a really heavy weight. Um, but, But even then, that's not a particularly realistic comparison because it is just it is so all-consuming and labor affects your brain as much as it affects your body in a way that potentially those other things don't so for me hypnobirthing and the tools of hypnobirthing are very much more about reframing what pain means and that we can feel pain and feel powerful at the same time that we can feel something that is really painful in our bodies and that it can be a safe and a normal sensation. Yes, it can be difficult to manage. Yes, it can feel all consuming. One of the reasons that it is all consuming is that we need the kind of thinking cognitive part of our brain to switch off so that we can allow our bodies to respond in a way that is completely uninhibited and instinctive. And when we do that, we're able to support our bodies into positions to make noises, to behave in a way that's actually going to help the baby get out. If we are so alert and awake that we can think our way through it and we can, you know, overthink everything that we're doing, we tend to kind of interfere with the actual physiological processes of birth. It is helpful to know that sometimes pain in birth can be pathological or so related to something that isn't physiology. So pathology basically means like illness. Um, And so if a pain is in a strange place, it doesn't have breaks, it's completely unbearable. It may be your body communicating that perhaps your baby is in a very difficult position or that you need to behave in a certain way, or it might be, you know, your body saying, actually, this isn't the uterus, this is the kidneys, this is the bladder, this is something else that is not okay. And you can get a really, really, without even understanding the biology of what's going on in your body you can actually identify what feels like safe physiological normal yes powerful intense pain and what feels like ah, something's just not right this is not supposed to feel like this um and induction which we've kind of mentioned already is is a is a slight anomaly here because induction is the bringing on of a physiological process artificially so we do know that when a labor is induced it can feel more painful. Um, And that is to do with the hormones that are in control of labor and birth. So when you are in labor, you make a whole cocktail of hormones, but one of them is called oxytocin. Oxytocin is like your love hormone, your happy hormone. When oxytocin is created within our bodies, it can do something that is called crossing the blood 
blood-brain barrier. So the oxytocin can go into our brains. And when oxytocin goes into our brains, it makes us feel more comfortable. It makes us feel happy. It makes us feel, it's the like happy love hormone. Um, when we have an induction of labor, which involves synthetic oxytocin, so a kind of chemically uh, artificially made version of a natural hormone in our body, it's affects the uterus in the correct way so it can cause the uterus to contract like it would in labor but it cannot cross the blood-brain barrier so artificial oxytocin can't get into our brains so it can tell the uterus to do what the uterus needs to do which is the part of our body generally that's painful in labor but because it's not getting into our brains it doesn't also make us feel happy and loving and good and comfortable um and so there can be um, disruptions along the way that can contribute to higher levels of pain in labor. But a lot of how we're able to kind of manage those sensations is actually to do with our environment, our mindset, the comfort measures, coping techniques that we have got. And when we are com continuously sold the message that you'll never be able, no one would ever be able to cope with labor without an epidural, that labor has to happen within a hospital, all of those things are things that contribute to higher levels of pain because of the way that it affects our mindset and the way that that then affects the way we're behaving in labor. Amazing. And the fake happy hormone, that that's the syntocinon. Yes. Yeah. Right. So in the UK, we call it syntocinon. You might see it online written down as Pitocin, which is okay. what they call it in America. Uh, I think that's like a brand name of right. the, the the chemical name, which is syntocin. Right. I'd love to discuss now something a little bit more kind of personal. Why do you love what you do? Why do you, why is it important? Why is this kind of an area that we that we need to be talking about more? I think it goes like right, 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 right back to when we're little girls, basically, and how we aren't really taught to embrace that part of ourselves we're not really taught to understand or trust our bodies we spend basically most of our lives being trained not to listen to our bodies like how frequently you know if people are listening to this now do you need the toilet are you not going to the toilet how frequently you know we're told at school no you can go to the toilet at lunchtime we are being constantly conditioned throughout our lives to not listen to, understand, trust our bodies. Sex education in school is, oh, go near a penis and you'll get pregnant. Like there is absolutely zero understanding of how our bodies work and how they influence our emotions and our feelings and our relationships. And so I think it kind of goes right, right, right back to there, which is, which then because we've had that grounding by the time we get to falling pregnant or trying to conceive even we go oh, hang on how come I'm not getting pregnant there's a penis over there and I haven't got pregnant yet I thought I thought if I wasn't using a condom that was it I would have a hundred children and so it's sometimes during that period the kind of we've decided to have a baby trying to conceive period that women actually really start to get to understand their body and the signs and signals that it is showing to them every day Sometimes people fall pregnant easily and it's not until they actually are in pregnancy that they start to really start to connect with their body. Um, and for some people, it's not even until they have their kind of second or third baby that they realize what importance it, their body brings in terms of communicating with them and telling them things that would make their lives a hell of a lot easier if they mm -hmm. kind of just listened to it. And then because we try to do all of this, we try to exist as women in a world that was essentially created by and for men, we are left in a situation where we are unable to 
respond to menstruating. We are unable to rest when we're pregnant. We are unable to bring up our children in the way that we might otherwise have wanted to because the power that that brings, the power that being pregnant, giving birth, breastfeeding, whatever it is, the the things that the female body can do are not valued or respected. And sometimes they're even kind of belittled that if you want to celebrate them, then you're almost being kind of anti-feminist because we should be equal to men. And I think it's about identifying the difference between equity and equality. So equality is giving men and women the same thing or people that identify in one way or another the same thing. Whereas equity is making sure they have the, the kind of the same opportunities in whatever way they need to rather than giving them the same thing so you know supporting somebody who is has a period once a month might be okay well on those days if you need to work from home if you need to be more flexible if you need to be more restful creating a world where they're able to do that doesn't mean that you have to do that for men as well because they're not menstruating at that time but that will put people kind of on a equal footing without giving them exactly the same thing and so I think a lot of it and then that plays right into the maternity system that was created as as it stands at the moment pretty much by male obstetricians most of our understanding of what birth is currently comes from not passed down wisdom from people probably females that have been supporting birth and seeing it unfold and understanding that birth is not a mechanical biological process only it is also a spiritual emotional sacred transformative experience and at the moment we're really in a place that we have massively separated the two and we are thinking of birth as a mechanism for getting a baby out and actually it is so 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 much more holistic than that regardless of how that happens whether that's somebody having a cesarean birth in a hospital at home that transformation is still going to happen and it really, really needs to be protected. And I think that's that's one of my big aims with the work that I'm doing through Birth Ed is to give people an understanding of, of that and all of the kind of history and politics that surround it because you cannot separate it, unfortunately, from politics and money and everything else that is that they're actually the big drivers behind the way that we are experiencing birth in 2023. I've been uh, kind of astounded at how empowering finding out all this information for yourself has been. I think, you know, in society, you're, you're sort of fed information and it kind of happens by osmosis. It just comes to you and you absorb it. But actually, when you kind of seek out, like ask questions and seek out questions which you think that definitely can't be right or I can't believe I've heard that. For sure. And it makes it makes you start to question literally every other area of your life. And it's yeah. part of me is like, oh, I just don't have the headspace to understand <laughs> this level depth of recycling and yeah. finances and, and all of that. But I, I know that people have that in the enthusiasm that I have about the female body and feminism and yeah. birth. People have that about all sorts of different things. And it, it does make you go, hang on, I've always assumed this about being vegan yeah I've always assumed this about recycling or whatever it is and then when you start to dig into it you realize that there is this wealth of information about pretty much everything (laughs) that exists in the world and that actually quite a lot of the things that we and we cannot 
as humans feel this passionately and know this much in depth about every aspect of our lives but it is if there if you're listening and you're sort of thinking oh just turn up and do what I'm told Mm. actually if there is an area of your life whether that is exercise whether that is ethical fashion whatever it is whatever you feel about that and the understanding that you have about the nuances and intricacies of that that exists in the birth world and yeah. the kind of female existence. You mentioned at the beginning that you have that you have two little ones, not how little the the, um, the old one is anymore, but two children yourself. How has having children kind of impacted what you do and your own experience impacted the work that you do? So it's it's quite interesting because I always try to separate like my own experiences yeah. of birth and my own experiences of parenting from the work that work I'm doing kind of sharing with other people because but I suppose what it has shown me and what it has taught me is that every pregnancy every birth every baby is completely individual and we all have incredibly different circumstances priorities health backgrounds previous experiences that contribute to the decisions that we are making and I think what it has helped me do is to really help find the kind of the nuance in those conversations and to know that there just there just isn't a blanket best way to do things um even from one child to another in our own experience we've we've parented them in slightly different ways or or in some ways very different ways um as that knowledge and experience and circumstances have have kind of shaped it um and I think what yeah what that has shown me is that actually supporting families to make choices that feel right for themselves even if that's completely different to anything that I would have done is really a really really kind of valuable part of our work and a really really important thread that runs through everything that that we do yeah Ancestors is obviously a period care brand and I like to ask my guests just kind of the opportunity to mention or discuss anything that is a bugbear of theirs or kind of something that they've experienced I wondered if you had any comments or advice for women on either menstrual health menstrual wellness after having a baby or we also kind of very briefly touched on it earlier your kind of body image after having a baby I think women don't talk about periods enough and and I'm here to listen so <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that is one thing that does come from after you've had a baby, you suddenly become very comfortable talking about bodily fluids, vaginas. Yeah, you just, like you just don't care in a way that you yeah. kind of put it. You're like, hello, nice to meet you. I've had a third degree tear. <laughs> oh, by the way, this is my name. Um, and so it's it, it does become it hopefully makes people more comfortable having those conversations. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, my my number not even related to the work that I do, but just from kind of me as somebody who has periods um something that I literally recommend to all of my friends especially if they haven't had children yet is to track your menstrual cycle and everything that happens in between it so in terms of you know I think so often we go I want to conceive okay well it's 14 days after my period so I must be ovulating and you go hang on there are so many ways that you can know that that is happening yeah and tracking everything from how that affects your mood to your energy and this is something I started doing about probably about 10 years ago now so long before my um first child was born and also relevant as to whether you're on hormonal contraceptive or not and how that is affecting things absolutely and when you start to get a real understanding of how the menstrual cycle works and how it your menstrual cycle works and how it affects you um 
when you have those days that you're like, oh my God, I need to like change jobs. I need to do something. You're having like an absolute meltdown. Yeah. You can literally look and be like, oh no, it's fine. In two days, I'll be fine. I won't be thinking this anymore at all. Yeah. And you, it is astonishing how good an insight it gives you into your behavior, your emotions. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely, definitely recommend that. And uh, again, encouraging the brand here. I have been a user of reusable menstrual products for over 10 years, uh, even before they became sort of hopefully fashionable like they might be getting now. Um, and really interestingly, they my period pain massively reduced after using um, reusable yeah. products. And I think it's just to do with not putting chemicals in your body, not putting something that's not really supposed to kind of yeah. be there. Um and really, really transformed things in terms of making things more comfortable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely recommend doing that as well. Also yeah. good for the planet. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then, but also just postnatally, is it will, particularly if you are breastfeeding, um, it does take a while for your menstrual cycles to return to what they kind of previously looked like and they might be a bit kind of haywire for a while. And so tracking them there can be even more important because then you get to see eventually when things have started to become more regular and, and understandable for you. And again, if you want to conceive any more children in the future, helpful to kind of have, mm. if you've got like a, a year's worth of understanding of how your body's working, then you're, you're at least, yeah, setting yourselves up to kind of know what is going on. But really, really knowing and understanding your body, ideally before you're even pregnant for the first time, yeah. um, sets you up, yeah, definitely. Beautifully. I think the thing about tracking your cycle is it's so personal to you. And I think that's what's so unique and special about it. And as you say, it can be completely invaluable because, you know, even if all your friends are tracking their cycles, yours will definitely be different. And I think, as you say, kind of understanding, yeah, when you might be ovulating, when you might have, you know, really intense pain, how long, you know, the, the, your bleed might last is totally unique to you. Menstrual flows and bleeds are different. So I think that goes back to my previous point of knowledge is power and taking the power back into your own and hands. It affects all sorts of things. So I've got a good friend who's diabetic and she was recommended to track her cycle because it affects her blood sugar levels. So yeah. the way that she responds to diabetes is different. And this is when we go back to thinking about research and what is researched is yeah. that so frequently research is either just done on everyone yeah. or it's done on, on men. A, on men, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. transferred to women. And so I think... Um, I was reading a bit of research about how menstrual cycle affects um, female athletes and when they're getting their personal bests, depending on yeah. where they are in their menstrual cycle. And it's things like that, that you're like, that is what is not taken into research, yeah. not just about um, pregnancy and birth, but any anything that we access in terms of healthcare lives in general is that it very, very infrequently takes into account the nuance of being a woman in that situation there's an incredible book you'd love it it's called can I swear on this podcast technically I'm not swearing um, <laughs> no, it's, called, it's called bitch but bitch as in female dog okay. I can't remember who it's by but it is basically basically like unpicking most of the research into animals that was done since Darwin because it was almost all of it was done through a very very male lens yeah and how assumptions were made about males of the species and then so much research is just there in like an echo chamber to go yeah 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 look see 
men are the violent ones, men are the strong ones. And then actually you look at different species of animals and you go, mm-hmm. hang on, that, spi- <laughs> that spider woman kills all the male spiders. Maybe in different species it's different and it's absolutely yeah. fascinating as to how much of what we think we know about the animal kingdom, which plays out into humans, um, is actually just assumptions Amazing. made because the of the cultural sexism that existed in society when the research was being done. And we still have tons of cultural sexism being in our, in our maternity research and and everything. Yeah, totally. Moving on now to quick fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer. This is just first thing that comes to your head. So I apologize if uh, that's really (laughs) difficult. Okay. First is a favorite quote, motto or affirmation. Um, my favorite quote, motto, or affirmation in relation to parenting is pick your battles. <laughs> Great, good one. <laughs> How much sleep you're currently averaging a night? Ooh, well, it's probably the best it's been in two years, but I do Great. have a two-year-old that doesn't sleep all night. So we're probably <laughs> erring on six or seven hours with maybe one wake up in between. Okay, great. Best parenting hack. Oh, can I go pick your battles again? Or if in, <laughs> if in doubt, put them in water or take them outside. Oh, fun. Yeah, if anything's ever not working, that generally fits. <laughs> them in water, love that. Yeah, bath. A bath, swim. Swimming pool, yeah, rain. Great. Uh, and then your number one piece of advice to remember during childbirth. My number one piece of advice to remember during childbirth is to trust yourself your body doesn't lie to you when you're in labor so even if it's saying something that feels completely weird it's not lying it's telling you it for a reason um and trust yourself and your body above anybody else yeah that's a great one next section is questions it's impossible to answer so obviously again there's no right or wrong these are just loose kind of conversation topics i'd love to hear your thoughts on will hypnobirthing take away all my birthing pain no (laughs) that's not an question um (laughs) it's okay we also briefly touched on it earlier so that's actually kind of covered um what does a birthing pool feel like a bit like a slightly cooled down hot tub great and then the final section is myth busters so this is a i'll say a statement and then you let me know if it's true or false and if you'd like to give a bit more of an explanation then you're welcome so the first question is sorry the first myth buster is pregnant women have more nausea if they're expecting a girl false okay and um, sorry i did i did actually slightly miss that did you say more nausea um, yeah, more nausea yeah. if they're expecting yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and um, sex induces labor. False. Sorry. <laughs> it will give you, if you enjoy it and you feel good, yeah. it will create oxytocin. Yeah. So it will put your body, that if your baby's ready to be born, it will put yeah. your body in a good place for your body to go into labor. But if your baby's not ready, it's not coming out. Yeah. And then also there's on that one, um, uh, semen also contains the... Pro- to, pro- it pro- contains prostaglandin. Yeah. You would need... A lot of it. Several swimming pools worth of semen oh. to get, to, to mimic, okay. not, maybe not swimming pools, but quite a lot to mimic <laughs> what you'd have in the induction process. Plus it's prostaglandins that aren't being made by your body. So again, if your body's not ready to go into labour, it's not going into labour. 
Okay, um, a swimming pool full of semen. Interesting. <laughs> that I, that's absolutely sit. disgusting. Don't, no, <laughs> don't go me. swimming in that. <laughs> so that's all. So Megan, thank you so much for, for joining us on Sisterhood, the podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed listening and do check out our podcast next week. Bye.